Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. With each message and series from Pastors Tim and Nathan, we hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Hey, what's up, church? Great to be with you today, whether you're online or in person. Welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim, and today we are starting a brand new series called Avoiding Election Infection. Now, we are just a few weeks away from November 3rd when Americans will go to the polls to vote for president. And let's be honest, what's being billed is the most polarizing election in generations. I mean, it's no secret. Our nation is deeply divided. And I talk to so many of you who say, man, I feel divided politically, racially, economically. And no matter which way the vote goes on November 3rd, I'm going to make a bold prediction. Here's something I can almost guarantee. On the morning of November 4th, half of America is going to wake up angry, <laughs> like mad, you know? Like, I realize the election results may take longer to sort out, but it's like, hey, once a winner is declared, I think about half our nation is going to be disappointed, disillusioned, maybe feeling sad or mad or, or maybe even fearful or worried about where our country is going to go. So as your pastor, my job is to tell you exactly who to vote for. I'm going to predict who is going to win. <laughs> no, 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 time out, time out, time out. Not at all. I'm just kidding. That's not my job, man. And it, let me tell you, if you're looking for an endorsement of either party, you're about to be very disappointed. See, as your pastor, my job is to spiritually prepare your heart to help you navigate these next few weeks so that you don't get infected. Not by COVID, there's another deadly pathogen floating around. Have you noticed? It's called Toxicus politicus, or toxic politics. And if you're not careful, you can catch a case. Let me give you the symptoms. The symptoms include uh, anger, uh, social media vomiting, <laughs> fear, uh, fractured family dinners, broken relationships. And what I just want to do over these next couple of weeks is I want to share with you from the Word of God and the life of Jesus how to avoid election infection. Because I really believe this is kind of a radical position, but let me just come clean and tell you where Liquid Church is coming from. At Liquid, we believe it's possible for Christians to disagree politically and still love unconditionally. Amen? Now listen, last Saturday, I was outside raking leaves on my front lawn, and I'm watching as this middle-aged white guy riding a red moped, like, you know those Vespas? He goes, buzzing down my street, and he's like, eh, eh, beeping his horn. And he's got a long white beard. He's wearing sunglasses. And he's wearing this tall Uncle Sam hat with the stars and stripes. And he has two flags strapped to his back. Uh, one is the American flag rippling behind him on the moped. And the other says, Trump 2020. And he's just buzzing down our street, meep, 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 on his, on his moped. And I'm watching as one car goes this way. And it kind of honks and waves, gives him the thumbs up. And another car goes that way and gives him the finger. <laughs> and I was like, America, right? Now, that same afternoon, our next-door neighbor, nice young couple, little kids, they come out of their house, and they wave to me, and I watch as they and their children stick three yard signs on their front lawn. Black Lives Matter, Love is Love, Biden-Harris 2020. And I thought, that is a perfect snapshot of where we're living right now in 2020. We are caught between these two polar opposite views of the world, and, and, and we've got people on both sides who feel real passionate about promoting their political opinion. Uh, maybe you feel that tension or you feel that awkwardness with your neighbors or your friends or, or even within your own family. Let me just take a quick survey, show of hands for those of you in person. If you're online, I'll give you a chance to vote. 
How many of you would say you enjoy actually talking politics? You, you like watching debates. You like the drama, all the chaos of this election. It's like a reality show, and it's exciting. You like watching it. How many would say that? You love it. Just type love in the chat. Okay. Now, how many of you say, I hate this stuff? <laughs> or you just wish the election was over and we could move on? Like, you can't stand politics. Maybe the, 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 the topic just comes up around the dinner table with family or you're socializing with friends, and it comes up, and you're like, you get all nervous on the inside. How many are there, okay? Now, how many of you are like me? You, you like to bring it up. you just like, I, I, wherever I am, I like to bring it up. You just like to stir the pot, okay? And here's the last question. Here's the last question. Show of hands. This is, this is important. If the election were held today, how many of you already know who you're going to vote for? Don't type their name and who you're voting, but like, you know who you're going to vote for. You, you don't even have to watch the news and debates anymore. You pretty much made up your mind. You know who you're going to vote for, all right? Okay, now, that, the reality is, okay, I want to issue a challenge to all of you, because this is a diverse church. We got people on all sides of the aisle. But I want to challenge you as your pastor between now and November 3rd to put your faith ahead of your politics, to put your faith filter first and your political perspective second. Because as Christians, we have to take our cues from the word of God, not cable news. Guys, as followers of Christ, we actually have to follow Christ's approach, which is very tricky because on some issues, Jesus seemed conservative, right? Like for instance, Jesus was pro-marriage, pro-family. He'd be against abortion. Some of you are like, well, no, duh. That's why I'm a Republican. I mean, Jesus is right. God is right. Obviously, I'm right wing, right? Okay. <laughs> but, but others, you might say, are you kidding me, man? Read your Bible. Jesus would have been a Democrat. I mean, look how he cared for the poor. Jesus fed the hungry. He healed the sick. When Jesus came to a town, it was like free health care for all. <laughs> of course, Jesus was a Democrat, Tim. I mean, he even rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, not an elephant. Isn't it obvious? Come on. Guys, the truth is anybody can cherry pick Bible verses to support their political opinion on certain issues. But as we're going to see today, Jesus actually transcended politics. In other words, he is far above our narrow little political boxes. And your Savior is a lot more nuanced than the sound bites you see on social media. So as your pastor, my hope is not to change your mind, but to challenge your heart. Because I think this kind of binary way that we're approaching this, like you're either right or left, you're Republican or Democrat or conservative or liberal, is it like has it all wrong. Labels are deeply divisive. And you know what? It's putting up walls between next door neighbors, between family members, between fellow believers, people we love. And so call me crazy, but at Liquid, we believe it's possible for Christians to disagree politically and still love unconditionally. Amen? So let's dive in. Let's look at the politics of Jesus. Because you may be surprised to learn that first century culture was bitterly divided as well. In fact, in Jesus' day, there were multiple political parties that were jockeying for power. And Jesus wasn't neutral. He, he didn't just like float above the fray like Jesus. Like, I'm so heavenly minded. I don't deal with earthly issues. Jesus hit the burning issues of his day head on. And he taught his followers, I want you to think a better thought. I've got good news that my kingdom is coming and the kingdom of God is more powerful than the government of man. So don't lose heart because the government doesn't have the solutions, but God does. Amen. So let me challenge you. All right. Just put your faith ahead of your politics right now. And together, let's just learn from Jesus how to love others well and think biblically about all these issues of our day, whether it's the economy or healthcare, immigration, taxes. In fact, let's start right there with taxes. All right. 
Open your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 13 through 17. It's also in your mobile app. And I want to show you this politically charged encounter that Jesus has that I think is going to enlarge your view of the kingdom. Now, the Gospel of Mark, Mark's just an ancient biography of Jesus, it's around 55 AD. At this point, Jesus is gaining a lot of followers in his ministry. He's blowing up. And the political power brokers didn't like it. And here's what the Word of God says. It says, later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians, you may want to underline that, to Jesus to catch him in his words. We got you, culture. We're going to cancel Jesus. They came to him and said, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So here's our question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? So notice they're bringing up this hot button issue of taxes and they want to smoke Jesus out. Like, where do you land politically, right or left? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now this takes place over 2,000 years ago, way back in the day. And, and what are they arguing over? taxes. <laughs> Woo! My, how times have changed. Should we raise them? Should we lower them? Should we pay them or not? Guys, we're still arguing over the same thing today. And it's a, it's a, it's a loaded question. It's a political hot potato. See, this wasn't just like in any old tax in Israel. It wasn't a property tax, an income tax. This says in verse 14, it's the imperial tax. This was a tax that the Jewish pay, people paid directly to Rome. Can I give you a little history lesson? Because at this time, Israel was an occupied country. And they were ruled by the Roman Empire. I'm just going to write down Rome so we can kind of keep track of who all the players are. And uh, this wasn't a sales tax. It was an imperial tax, an extra tax that they paid for the privilege of being subject to a guy named Caesar. Not little Caesar, pizza, pizza. Caesar, the guy who runs the whole world. So it's a sore subject. The ruling party of Jesus's day was Rome and their president was Caesar. He's the emperor and he declared himself to be a god, small g. In fact, check this out. All Roman citizens had to bow their knee and say these words, Caesar Hocutius. You know what it means? It translates to Caesar is Lord. That's him right there. They had to pledge allegiance to Caesar. In fact, whenever Rome would conquer a nation, they would send out messengers to announce the good news of Caesar's victory. And you know what Caesar called it? He called his good news the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Now, Caesar Augustus ruled around AD 14, and he tweeted his gospel. I'm just going to write that here because that was Caesar's words. He tweeted his gospel or his good news this way. Divine Augustus Caesar, son of God, imperator of land and sea, the benefactor, savior of the whole world has brought you peace. Talk about loaded language. That would have triggered a few people. Notice the religious overtones. It says that Caesar is divine. He is a small s, son of a small g, God. He is a savior of the world. He is a prince of peace. Wait a minute, what? 
in the first century, guys, these are political words. And this was deeply upsetting to the Jews, this idea that like a pagan moral emperor rules our country. I mean, we believe in the one true God of the Bible. They said, this ain't right, man. Caesar's a dictator. Romans got to go. Now, the Jews felt about the Romans probably like uh, the way AOC feels about Trump. Contempt. It was personal. And so the burning political question of Jesus' day was, how can we get rid of Rome? How can we be set free from the tyrannical rule of Caesar? Now, there were a couple of political parties in Jesus' day who had two very different strategies. Did you see them listed in verse 13? It says the Pharisees and the Herodians. And just like we have a political spectrum, right, left and right, they had the same thing. I'm going to draw for you so you guys can kind of see this. Take a look. Over here on the political spectrum, you had the liberal left, okay? Well, I'm going to use blue for them. And over here, you had the righteous right. I'm going to use red because that's how it is. These were the original right-wing religious right. Now, listen to this. On the right, these were called the Pharisees. They were the people who said, you know what our problem is as a nation? It is the liberals. There's too much sin. Not enough holiness in our nation. That's the problem. If, if we got rid of the prostitutes, the drunks, the tax collectors, and we had more righteous people like us, then God would bring Roman occupation to an end. So their philosophy was reform the nation, make it more religious, the religious right. On the left were, listen, the Herodians. You see it in verse 13? And you see the word Herod in there. Herod was the king of the Jews. And basically, these were the compromisers. They said, you know what? We've just got to go along with Caesar and with King Herod. Big government is the solution. They were just in bed with Caesar. They, these guys would argue back and forth. Herodians versus Pharisees. Pharisees versus Herodians. And you know what? They were like, Pharisees, you're nuts. You got no idea how powerful Rome is. If we rebel, it's suicide. Caesar will crush us. So we got to make the best of our situation. We got we to compromise. We got to maintain the status quo. And see, these two parties were deadlocked. They're constantly arguing back and forth while the people suffered. Now into this toxic political climate, a young carpenter named Jesus begins preaching this message. Repent, which means think different. Turn around. The kingdom of God is here. That was Jesus' central message. The kingdom of God is here, which was in contrast to the empire of Caesar. In essence, Jesus was saying, I got, I've, I've got my own gospel. I've got my own good news, not from Rome, but for heaven. And the news is this. You're all obsessed with the government of man, but you're missing the source of freedom. The kingdom of God is here and available to everybody. So do a 180, repent. I'll teach you how to go a new direction, how to live free. No matter who has the money and the power, you can be free. Now, people sensed, I mean, that's a different message, but they weren't sure, well, where does Jesus fit on this political spectrum? Is he to the right? I mean, he's a rabbi. Or is he to the left, right? Is Jesus conservative or is he liberal or is he something else altogether? I mean, Imagine you went to see Jesus preach and you hear him say, I've come to make Israel great again, restore our godly values, you know? And you're like, oh, okay, he must be a Pharisee. He's a rabbi, he's for holiness. But wait a minute. Then you see Jesus at a party like a couple days later and he's hanging out with prostitutes and drunks and tax collectors. 
what's more than the party runs out of juice? What does he do? He makes more wine. You're like, nope, definitely not a Pharisee. But he can't be a Herodian. Herodians are just about maintaining power by compromising with Rome. And so they come to Jesus and look what they say. They said, uh, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. So they start with a compliment. You aren't swayed by others. In other words, you're not for approval ratings because you don't pay attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So people were confused because Jesus defied easy labels, little political boxes. Isn't it interesting how Jesus held fast to the truth and yet he had grace, love for broken people. He had integrity. He didn't care about what approval ratings he got. And the people realized, hey, this guy isn't trying to get rich or, or grab power, but he has an agenda. What is it, Jesus? What's your platform? So this is kind of fun. To smoke him out, they bring up a wedge issue. Let's see what he says about taxes. Notice in verse 13, it says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to do what? To understand his heart. No, to catch him in his words. So this was gotcha culture. Let's cancel Jesus. Can we catch him and we'll, we'll post it all over social. We'll get him canceled. Now, this is remarkable, guys, because these two guys, these two groups, they hated each other. These are sworn enemies. They're at opposite ends of the political spectrum. Let me tell you something. You know you've got a dangerous message when both liberals and conservatives hate your guts. When, when both liberals and conservatives join forces and tag team and kneecap you, guys, this is like Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell saying, let's come together and take Team Jesus down. Because he's not going to go along with either of our party lines. And people are starting to leave us and, and follow him. And so they ask this politically loaded question. Is it right, Jesus, to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? It's always binary. The trap is set. Because if Jesus answers yes, he's a traitor. It means he betrayed the Jewish people and supports Rome. They'd say, ha I knew it. All this talk about the kingdom of God, new way to live, love your enemies, care for the poor. It's just a bunch of smoke. If Jesus says no, he'll be accused of treason, of basically saying, yeah, let's overthrow the government. And conservatives would like this, but let me tell you something. Caesar right here, he's going to send in the troops and he's going to crush his followers. In other words, this is the perfect political trap. It's a wedge issue, a litmus test. And they want a yes or no answer, binary. Should we or shouldn't we? Yes or no. They want a soundbite to play in Fox News. Jesus said yes. He's a limousine liberal who likes big government. <laughs> or on MSNBC. He said no. He must be part of a QAnon. Maybe he's part of a vast conspiracy. But this is what I love about Jesus. Because his answer isn't just subversive. It's brilliant. It says Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Anybody feel like politics is getting a bit hypocritical? He says, why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. He basically says, anybody got a quarter? <laughs> That's what a denarius was. It was a Roman quarter. It had a picture of Caesar stamped on it. Our quarter has Washington stamped on it. And verse 16 says, they brought Jesus the coin and he asked them, okay, so whose image is this? Who's, whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, well, why don't you give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. 
Now, what's so amazing about Jesus's answer? Well, a couple things. First off, notice Jesus says, hey, bring me a denarius, which is funny because it means Jesus didn't have a nickel to his name. <laughs> so right away, this is a contrast to Caesar, right? I mean, the denarius, this thing literally belonged to Rome. Did you know this? They minted it out of the emperor's wealth. And so it had Caesar's picture on it. So just like, hey, this is Washington's quarter. It's got Washington's image. It's stamped with his image. But here comes Jesus saying, guess what? I am a new king and I'm setting up a new kind of kingdom, but I don't even have a nickel to my name. <laughs> I mean, here's a king without a quarter. He's basically saying, my agenda actually doesn't depend on money or on power or on super PACs. Think about it. Jesus was homeless and he spent his time with the poor who had no money, no influence, no power. So this is an object lesson. He's saying, let's look at the government of Caesar. And he says, whose image is this? Now, this is really important. The Greek word for image here is the Greek word icon. Can you say that? Icon. It's where we get our English word icon. <laughs> now, what's an icon? An icon is just a little picture of this larger reality. So Caesar's icon or image is stamped on the coin. And Jesus says, so give back to Caesar that whatever is stamped with Caesar's image. But you better give back to God what's stamped with the image of God. And every Jew would have known exactly what he meant by those brilliant words. That coin is minted in the image of Caesar, but you are made in the image of God. In other words, Caesar stamped the money, but God stamped your heart. You are made in God's image. You are his icon. And in the opening chapters of Genesis, every Jew memorized the verse, male and female, they were made in the image of God. In other words, you are a mini icon of me. So the coin belongs to Caesar, but you belong to me. Think about this. Jesus is like, I don't want your money. I want your whole life. I'm laying claim to your, your mind and your heart and your soul and your strength. Do you see the brilliance of Jesus? He said, you can give a government your paycheck, but you should never give it your soul because you're an image bearer. You're a mini icon of the living, loving God. You represent his compassion, his grace, his truth, his love. In fact, it doesn't matter what regime you find yourself living under, democratic, socialist, imperial, the kingdom of God is greater than all that. The kingdom transcends that. Well, where is this kingdom, Jesus? And Jesus said, the kingdom is not in the seat of power. It's right here. The Oval Office is within you. Luke 17 says, once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, no, no, the kingdom of God doesn't come with your careful observation or your elections, nor will people say, here it is or there it is. The kingdom of God is where? Say it together, church, is within you. Meaning the change you and I hope to see in our world, it doesn't start out there, guys. It starts in here. Jesus said, I am inaugurating a new kind of revolution, not one that conquers nation, but one that conquers hearts. Because deep change, true change, lasting change, systemic change always starts from the inside out, not outside in. As you surrender control of your life to a new king. King Jesus. That's what the kingdom's about, right? We say, your kingdom come. Even that word kingdom, it basically means divide it into two things. It means the kingdom is wherever the king dominates, where God says what he wants done is done. 
So he's, there he says, as God dominates your life with my sacrificial love, you're going to change. And as you change, the world around you is going to change. The nation's going to change. The, the, the whole culture is going to change. Isn't this an amazing idea? I mean, it's revolutionary. Jesus is basically saying, hey, if you want to change the world, vote me into the Oval Office of your heart. Give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Jesus is claiming God can do something government can never do, and that is transform the human heart. And he was challenging everybody. Where's your hope? Where do you pledge allegiance? Can I ask that? Where do you pledge allegiance? To one of these political parties? Is it to the right or is it to the left? Or is it to me, Jesus says, who's above all of it? Jesus is like, I am not red. I am not blue. I am purple, baby. <laughs> Jesus is like, I've got a new kind of government that is never going to end. And it is bigger than your boring little boxes. And they were amazed at him. Can I ask, are you amazed? <laughs> I mean, are you dazzled? Because I'm reading this this week. I'm like dazzled by the brilliant mind of Jesus. More than that, are you willing to, to vote for Jesus in the kingdom? That is, put your faith ahead of your party politics and let Christ sit in the Oval Office of your heart. I hope so. Because when you become a follower of Christ and you begin living out the kingdom values, it will profoundly change the way you treat your neighbors, you engage in the public square, your enemies. <laughs> Jesus said, oh yeah, you probably are gonna have some enemies. I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you on Facebook. <laughs> what? You want real power? Oh, I'll show you how. Stoop to serve. Meek is the new strong. And here's a challenge to all Christians. Put your faith, your kingdom values over and ahead of your party politics. How does that look? Well, next week I'm going to get real, real specific about how does that look in our relationships? Like, what do you do when your, your parents are like super right wing and they say things that are offensive and, and maybe you're more liberal, but, but then you're also, uh, I, I don't want to uh, vote for that person because uh, there's, it's complex, right? Like how, how do you do that? How do you do that when, with your race and ethnicity? Next week, we're getting to the weeds of how you live out the kingdom values. But I want to close with three things you can do today to avoid election infection. In fact, let me just give you two. If you're taking notes, first is simple. Mark 12 teaches us, don't hijack Jesus for any one political party. You know, it's kind of sad, but our world assumes that kind of like Christians are automatically Republicans. Like, isn't it the same thing? <laughs> but the reality is followers of Christ can be Democrats or uh, Republicans. They can be independents or libertarians. The truth is no one political party can fully represent the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of God is so much broader and inclusive than our narrow American politics. You know, there's a story in Joshua where God's people are about to go into a battle and an angel with a sword appears and Joshua says, whose side are you on? Ours or theirs? And the angel basically says, um, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. So when you say, well, what side is Jesus on? Jesus is like, man, I don't come to take sides. I come to take over. I don't want your vote on wedge issues. I want your whole life, my, your mind, your soul, your strength for my comprehensive kingdom agenda. So guys, God is the consummate independent. God is not committed 
to Democrats or Republican, he's committed to himself. And as a person committed to Christ, we need to actually be open and independent depending on the issue. Whether you associate with the Democrats or Republicans or the Libertarian Party, whatever, no party fully represents the values of the kingdom of God. So understand something. You're in a church with a lot of diverse perspectives. If you're looking for the church where everybody thinks the same way, votes the same way, this ain't the church for you. In our church, in God's house, different people are going to have different party affiliations based on the focus of, of their issues. Like, did Jesus defend the poor? Yes. But did he also call the rich? Yes. Did Jesus bridge racial divides and champion justice? Yes. Does his word command us to obey those in authority, to pray for our leaders? Yes. See, Jesus isn't either or. He's both and. He's above the issues. So listen to me. Don't hijack Jesus for your agenda, man. Don't box the Lord in. When you walk into that voting booth, you got to think kingdom, not party. Depending on the issues, kingdom values may call you to, to lean Republican or Democrat. For instance, I'll give you an example. Take like the issue of abortion, right? It's kind of a wedge issue. Now, the truth is, biblically, followers of Jesus, we should be champions of life. We should be against abortion, both for the child and for the mother that it wounds. But the main reason is because it's taking the life of a defenseless child who's made in the image of God. They are an icon of God. So even our Constitution calls for the right to life. Amen? But here's the deal. God is concerned about whole life, not just nine months term life. Jesus cares about life from womb to tomb, from cradle to grave. So that means conservative Christians who are against abortion, protecting the, the sanctity of life in the womb, they have a chance to unite with democratic Christians who fight for justice to the tomb, racial justice, justice for the unborn. They're not separate issue, guys. Their whole life, they are kingdom values. So we could actually join forces, even though some might lean left or some might be to the right, and together we represent the values of the kingdom. I want you to think about this. In Jesus' inner circle of disciples, he had Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. You know what zealot means? It means rebel, revolutionary. In other words, Matthew worked for Rome. He was a tax collector. He worked for the government, and the other guy said, I'm going to give my life to overthrow it. And Jesus said, hey, both of you guys, follow me. I got a big old tent for both of you. See, no single party can represent God's kingdom fully, and that should humble us. That should unify us. Newsflash, Jesus doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. He has his very own kingdom, and you are called to be a part of that. So here's my last application. Don't set your hopes on November 3rd. Set your heart on Christ. Can I just tell you something? If you wake up on November 4th, like the morning after the election, and you feel overwhelming joy, woo, that your man or woman won, or you feel, oh, crushing despair, ah, the world is over because they lost, may I gently suggest you are looking to human politics for a hope it can never deliver. Like you are setting yourself up for an epic letdown because you're putting your confidence in the politics of man, not the kingdom of God. Newsflash, guys, Jesus ain't coming back on Air Force One. Whoop! Yeah. According to Revelation, Jesus is coming back as a conquering king, riding a white horse, Air Horse One, with the title King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And he's going to call every nation, every tribe, every tongue to confess Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. Amen? 
Guys, our hope is an eternal kingdom, not a temporary election. So just like understand, like whoever's picked to lead these next four years, at the end of the day, we are electing flawed men and women, sinful people like me, and we need to pray for humility. So yes, you need to to go and vote your conscience. You need to vote for the issues that are most important to your heart and align with Jesus's kingdom values. But you can't set your hope on any man, woman, or political party because salvation is not coming from Washington. You know what the Bible says? It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on what? Things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Politics, is earthly. Only one kingdom is eternal. You guys know how this ends, right? Because Jesus refused to play their political games, he was actually crucified by Rome, and he was in cooperation with the Pharisees and the Herodians. These three came together to crucify Jesus. This is the first time church and state came together to kill the Lord. But because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, He demonstrated his power (laughs) and his authority over all creation. And he said, I am crowned king over all, and I'm coming back for my people. Amen? Guys, here's something humbling. Here we are 2,000 years later, and as we're waiting for the return of Jesus, can I just mention something? Herodians, gone. None of these political parties exist. Pharisees, gone. Empire of Rome, gone. Caesar, long gone. Listen to me. Someday, Republicans and Democrats will be gone. America itself may be gone. Presidents come and go, but the kingdom of Christ is unshakable. The Bible says his government will have no end. So don't set your hopes on November 3rd. Set your heart on the return of Christ and his kingdom. In fact, Start living in his kingdom right now. That's what we're going to talk about next week. How do we do this? You're his icon. You bear the image of Christ, which means God can give you the power to love your enemies. Guys, can you imagine if the church stood up in this moment of divisive polarism and actually showed what real unity looks like? I really believe, this is crazy, call me a radical, I believe it's possible for Christians to disagree politically and still love unconditionally. How do you do it? I'm going to give you real practical handles next week, so I want to make sure you come back. But above all, don't forget, you set your heart on Christ because that's what matters in the end. You know, I'll close with this. As a pastor, a lot of times I'll be called to the bedside of sick people. I've been privileged to come alongside people who are in their last breaths on this earth. And can I tell you, not once has someone ever said, Pastor Tim, could you come to the hospital and read me some passages from the Constitution? Could you read me the party platform from the 2020 election cycle? Nobody asked that. Nobody asked that. They said, could you read me, tell me about the kingdom and about my savior? Why? Because you're made in the image of God. You've been redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus. And you have this unshakable hope of eternal life in his kingdom. Since you've been raised with Christ... Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, not on earthly things. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Amen? 
Let's pray together, church. Jesus, we see you fresh. Remove the scales from our eyes so we can see your dazzling kingdom. I thank you for your brilliant mind, Jesus, that although you were on the throne in heaven, you left it, Lord. You actually gave up power to come to earth to show us what true power is and what love looks like up close. And so, Lord, I pray right now, would you infuse us right now with the love and the hope of Jesus Christ that it would push back in such a way that even though right now it feels like there's political poison and toxins all around us, that we could actually live and give off the smell, the fragrance of grace and truth like your life did. We want to be more like you. You've made us in your image. We were made for you. So come, Jesus, be Lord of our hearts. We invite you into the Oval Office right now of our heart. If anyone doesn't know Christ, if you're here and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know God in that kind of personal way, just invite him. You can vote for Jesus right now. Say, say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I'm done being in charge. I can't be in charge of my life, let alone the world. Would you be my Lord and Savior? I believe you died for me, that you were raised again, and I want to be in your kingdom forever. That's how you become a Christian. So, Father, I pray right now for those who are inviting you in. Father, come in, renew them, let them know they'll never be alone again, and they're in for the adventure of a lifetime. We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. I look forward to seeing you next week for part two of avoiding election infection. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.